following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. This morning we're continuing our series in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts is the book in the Bible that tells the story of the first three decades after the life of Jesus. The time when the church was born and God's mission through the church begins expanding out into the world. And we're in this passage this morning in Acts chapter 4, which shows us the early church praying, takes us into the prayer life of the early church. And as you read the book of Acts, you see that prayer was such a vital, such a central part of the life of the early church. This was a church that was built on a foundation of prayer. And in this passage, in Acts chapter 4, we get taken into one of the early prayer meetings of the church. Uh, it wasn't a scheduled meeting, it wasn't planned, it wasn't on anyone's calendar. This was just a spontaneous meeting of people that prayed in response to the circumstances that were developing around them. And we get to be a fly on the wall in this prayer meeting. We get to listen in, we get to watch as these believers pray, as they lift their voices to God and we learn an awful lot in this passage about the importance of prayer, about the power of prayer, about the place that prayer should have in our lives and in our church. So this passage is a continuation of the story that we started looking at last week, where Peter heals the man who was born lame. After Peter performs that miracle, he preaches to the crowd and explains that he's done this through the power of the risen Jesus. And that doesn't go down too well with the Jewish authorities. They then grab a hold of Peter and John and throw them in prison until the following day, take them into custody. And the next day they try to pin some charges to Peter and John, but there's really nothing that'll stick. There's nothing legally that they can charge the apostles with because they haven't broken any laws. So they're forced to let Peter and John go. But before they let them go, they give them a warning and they tell them that under no conditions are they to continue preaching about Jesus. They are not to go around publicly talking about Jesus being risen from the dead. They already thought they dealt with Jesus and his followers, and now this is all cropping back up again, and they direct these apostles they must not publicly preach about Jesus anymore. And then they let them go. So now there is the very real threat for this early church of persecution coming upon them from the governing authorities. There's a very real possibility now for the church that they face legal persecution and, and government persecution. And this is a huge threat to the movement of the church and the very existence of the church in these really early formative days. So this is a major problem, a major threat in the life of the church. And Peter and John come back into this gathering of believers that were there, probably in, in, in one of their homes, and they tell them what's happened. And you look at the very first thing that these believers do in verse 24, it says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And you notice that, that, that the first thing they did was not to have a committee meeting. The first thing they did was not to have a strategy meeting. Nobody pulled out a whiteboard and started planning what they were supposed to do. The first instinctive reaction of the church to this situation was to pray. The first thing they did was lift their voices in prayer to God. And that, I think, is a huge lesson for us. You know, prayer tends to be way down on our lists in terms of the things we do to respond when situations get difficult and when stress comes into our lives. You know, we do a hundred other things first. 
we, we, we worry about things, we talk to people about things, we strategize about things, we plan our way out of it, we try and think our way out of it, maybe way down the list we finally get to praying about it. And even then, our prayers can often just be these kind of obligatory prayers that we, that we pray. But what we see in the early church is, is a way in which prayer was such a natural and immediate response to circumstances that arose. And this is what God wants for us. He wants prayer to be the, the reflex of our lives. When we hit any circumstances, particularly bad circumstances, what God wants is for prayer to be our natural response, that we would turn to Him, that this would be the first thing that we do, not the last thing. It would be the rhythm of our lives that we just turn to God in prayer as our response to any and every situation. That's what these believers are doing. Now, as you look at the content of this prayer. There's a number of things here we can learn about the power of prayer, the importance of prayer. I want to focus on three of them. I want to look at three dimensions of this prayer that show us the importance of prayer and how we should pray, how God wants us to pray in our lives. And the first is this, prayer centers us on the sovereignty of God. Prayer centers us on the sovereignty of God. Have a look at how this prayer begins. In verse 24, they begin with, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. You notice these believers don't start by talking to God about the situation that's in front of them, which is kind of surprising. They've got this huge problem. It's a very real problem. It's a threat against their existence. But they don't begin by talking to God about this situation. They begin by focusing themselves on the sovereignty of God. They begin by looking towards God. They begin by going right back to creation and looking at God as the, the creator of all things, the one who has made everything. They, they immerse themselves in this huge story of God's greatness and God's glory and God's sovereignty. That's where their focus goes. Why do they pray this way? Why is this the way they start their prayer? Well, let me explain it to you with this illustration. Imagine that you're out at sea in a little boat. And you're there in this, in this small boat and, and you're a long way from land and your boat is bobbing up and down on the waves and the waves start to pick up a bit. The wind starts to pick up and there's a lot of motion and you start to feel a bit seasick. Your stomach starts to churn. You start to feel nauseous. Now what are you supposed to do when you start feeling seasick? You are supposed to focus on a steady fixed point on the horizon. Something that's not moving and not changing. And the idea is that by focusing on that fixed point, your body feels more stable. You become more stabilized because you are focusing on what's not changing rather than the turbulent sea around you. Now, you can see where this is going, can't you? And in a sense, we feel a lot of the time like we're in this little boat bobbing up and down on the waves. And, and maybe we feel especially this way at the moment in this COVID-19 world that we're dealing with at the moment. And there is such transition and such change going on in our lives. We've just been in level three. We're coming out into level two. We don't know where this is going. Are we going back to level one? Are we going back to level three? There's a lot of transition. There's a lot of change. There's a lot of upheaval going on. And we can feel like we're just bobbing up and down on the water. It can give us this sense of motion sickness where we just feel so thrown around and tossed around by everything that's going on. It's a very destabilizing kind of experience that we're all having right now. Now in the midst of this, when we do pray, if we pray at all, the way in which we tend to pray is to focus on the problems that are right in front of us and to focus on the, the situations, to focus on 
the, the business difficulties or the, 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 the family difficulties or just the personal difficulties that we're having or whatever it is. And that's understandable because this is our lived experience. This is our reality. But if you're out at sea and all of your focus is going onto the waves around you and the waters around the boat, what's going to happen? You're going to feel more seasick. You're going to make yourself more seasick. And this is the problem. Sometimes the way that we pray can actually just lead us to feel worse about things. There's times I've prayed about something and I've come away feeling worse about it than I did after I prayed than before I started. Now the problem is not with prayer. The problem is certainly not with God. The problem is the way in which I'm focusing my prayer on my own situation and it ends up just being morbid introspection. It ends up just being more focus on the problem and less focus on God. What we need to do, what God wants us to do in prayer, is lift up our gaze and fix it upon Him. Lift our gaze beyond what is changing around us to focus on this fixed point on the horizon, which is God and, and His sovereignty and, and His attributes. That's where our focus should be. Prayer should lift up our focus from all of the changing circumstances that are going on and place our focus on the unchanging God, the one who is the same yesterday, today, forever. Prayer should, should lift our focus above everything in our lives that is not certain and, and, and is giving us anxiety and is causing apprehension, everything we don't know what's coming up in the future. Prayer lifts our focus above all of that and it focuses us on the certainty of God, the certainty of His faithfulness, the certainty of His love, the certainty of His grace, those things that are not changing. Prayer lifts our focus above just the immediate circumstances, just the present moment. We can get so sucked into the present moment and it feels all-consuming what's going on right now. But prayer lifts our eyes up to focus on the eternity of God. That we focus on the God who is the Alpha and Omega, the one who is the Ancient of Days, who holds history in His hands. That gives us a sense of perspective. Prayer lifts us above all the chaos of what's going on and things feel out of control in our lives and our world. And it shifts our focus to the God who is completely in control. The sovereign Lord, the God that these believers are addressing, the one whom we are called to focus upon. And as we do that, as we fix our eyes on God, what God does is allow that to give us a greater sense of stability. Because we are referencing ourselves now, not off our situation. We're referencing ourselves off the unchanging God. The one who is not changing. That's our reference point. And that breathes a greater sense of security into our lives. A greater sense of stability into our lives. A greater sense of rest. Because we're resting in the shadow of God's wings. We know that we are held within His hands. It gives us a greater sense of calm in our lives, a greater sense of peace. It doesn't mean our situations necessarily change. It doesn't mean that everything around us is going to change. But this is the thing with prayer. The, the primary purpose of prayer is not to change your circumstances. It's to change you. Prayer changes you by focusing you on the sovereignty of God so that you become a more stable and centered person person 
because your reference point is God and not yourself or anyone around you or your changing circumstances. This is the power that prayer has in our lives. So this is the way God wants us to pray. This is the way he's designed us to pray, is to, to center us and focus us on the sovereignty of God. And maybe in what you're going through this morning, this is what God is nudging you to do, is just lift up your eyes. Lift your eyes off your own circumstances rather than getting absorbed in them and place your focus on him and who he is. Prayer focuses us on the sovereignty of God. Now, there's a second way in this passage in which prayer is powerful. Prayer moves us onto God's agenda. Prayer moves us onto God's agenda. Look back in this passage and look what happens when these believers finally come to ask God for something. We get to verse 29 and they finally get around to placing their requests before God and asking him. And, and look at what they ask him for. In verse 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is so different to the way that I would pray. You know, if I was in this situation, if this was my prayer, I think I'd be praying something like, God, help me. God, rescue me. God, save me from all these nasty people that are after me. These rulers, stop them and send them away and stop all of their threats and look after me. And, and protect me, and help me, and guard me, and, and, I, and this would be my focus. You know, I'd, I'd be praying for me, and I'd be praying for this community that I'm a part of. But what these believers are praying is that God would give them boldness to go out there and continue doing what they'd already been doing. The very thing that got them in trouble, which was preaching the Word of God. And they say, God, give us more boldness so we can go and do that again. So we can just carry on where we left off. They're not focused on themselves. They're not focused on even their own comfort or their own security. They are focused on aligning themselves with the will of God. They are, they are focused not on their own agenda. They're focused on God's agenda, on God's will. And I think with prayer, sadly, you know, sometimes prayer in our modern culture has just become a way of us trying to get God's help to fulfill our goals. You know, we've got our own life goals. We've got our own kind of script for life that our culture hands us, and it's largely a secular script that we think we've got to live out. We've got our financial goals, we've got our lifestyle goals, we've got our whatever strategic plan, and, and we kind of see prayer as this way to get God's help in fulfilling all these goals that we've already set for ourselves. Now we just get some extra firepower to kind of live out our own dreams. But the reality is, God's not interested in helping us achieve our own life goals. That's not his primary purpose in our lives. God's primary intention of, in your life is not to help you live out the goals that you've already determined for your own life. In fact, God's intention is to move you off your own agenda, off your own goals, off your own ambition, off your own plans, and lead you to a point of surrender where you are committed to His agenda and His plans. He's going he's gonna to poke deep into those plans that you've got to reveal that a lot of the time these are pretty self-centered. These can be pretty humanistic plans and really just come out of a desire for us to live self-fulfilled, self-determined lives. And God, God digs underneath that. And He uses prayer to dig underneath that and say, the way that I want you to pray is to get off just praying for yourself and get onto praying for God's agenda, His will, 
and his kingdom to come. Now, that's a radical adjustment. That's not a comfortable shift for us, but that's where God wants us to focus in prayer. Somebody who knew how to pray this way was John Wesley, great man who lived in the 17th century, the father of the Methodist movement, theologian, and he wrote a prayer, prayed a prayer called the Covenant Prayer. That's what it's become known as. And it's become a prayer that, that many people have used for hundreds of years to align themselves in prayer with the will of God and ask for things that are in keeping with His will. I want to read this prayer to you. And, and you might want to pray these words along with me as I read them as your own prayer to God. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will, place me with whom you will, put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you, praised for you or criticised for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer and sustainer, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And let the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen. Now that's a prayer that's aligned with the will of God. That's not an easy prayer to pray, but it reminds me of the Lord's Prayer. It reminds me of that line in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Rather than seeing prayer as a way to get God to do your will, how about seeing it as a way to align yourself with his will and pray, your will be done, your kingdom come. I mean, just imagine some of the circumstances in your life, some of the situations that you're facing at the moment, and just imagine what it would look like for God's kingdom to come into those situations. What would it look like for God's kingdom to come into that relationship, for God's kingdom to come into that family, for God's kingdom to come into that difficulty, for God's kingdom to come into that situation that's causing you stress, that thing you're worrying about. What would it look like for God's kingdom to come? Not just for your will to be done, but God's kingdom. And then pray into that. Pray as much as you understand it, and we never really fully know, but, but pray for God's kingdom to, become, to come and, and for God's will to be done, that his agenda would be done in that situation and that he would use you in whatever way he wants to and that you would be totally surrendered and open to whatever God wants to do in you and through you in the midst of that situation. That's praying in line with God's agenda. And this is God's desire, that, that prayer is not a selfish tool that we use just to get our own way. Prayer is something that is to move us onto God's agenda so we pray in line with what He is doing in our lives and in the world. Now, there's one final way in which prayer is powerful that we see in this passage. And that prayer releases the presence and the power of God. Now, look at what happens in this passage after the believers finish praying. Verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, I've never personally been in a prayer meeting that's finished and then the house started shaking. I haven't had that experience, but this is what happened for these believers. And, and the shaking of this building was a sign of the presence of God. That's what's going on here. This symbolizes the presence of God. Just like in the Old Testament, uh, when, when people have a vision 
of God's holiness, like Isaiah does. He sees the holiness of God in the temple, and the temple starts shaking. The thresholds of the temple shook because the holy presence of God was there. When we pray, God's presence, God's holy presence is inhabiting those prayers. And we, we might not be physically shaken, the room might not be physically shaken, but there is a shaking that happens because God's presence is there powerfully when we pray. And then it says these believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that's interesting because this is not the first time that these believers have received the Spirit. They received the Spirit back in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. That's when the Spirit was poured out. They've already received the Holy Spirit. So what happens here is that they are filled afresh with the Spirit in the sense of being empowered. They receive a fresh empowering of the Holy Spirit. They already received the Spirit, but now they're freshly renewed and empowered by the Spirit and for a specific purpose. These believers are then sent out to proclaim the Word of God boldly. They don't just receive the Spirit for their own sake. The Holy Spirit's not just given to make us feel warm and fuzzy. They receive the Spirit. They're empowered by the Spirit for the purpose of mission. They're empowered by the Spirit so that they would go out and do just what they've been doing, which is proclaiming the Word of God with boldness. This is why the Holy Spirit's given to, to propel us out toward the world to be part of the mission of God. And so you see here that, that as these believers pray, it releases God's presence and God's power into the situations they're praying for, into the world and into their circumstances. This is what happens whenever God's people pray. When we pray, there is this outpouring of God's presence and God's power into the circumstances that we're praying for. Now, it's not that God needs you to, to, to fulfill his plans in the world. God's going to work with or without you. God doesn't need your help. But God has ordained it so that he works through people. God wants to work in the world, not independently of people. He works through his people. And one of the ways in which he works through his people is to work through their prayers. God has created that kind of world. God has set the world up so that prayer is one of the ways in which we can be involved in what God's doing. He involves us in all kinds of ways. But one of those ways is, is, is prayer. And God has ordained it so that prayer has power. So that prayer can change things. So that through prayer, God chooses to respond. He chooses to pour out His power. He chooses to pour out His blessing. He responds to our prayers. So whenever we pray, God acts. Whenever we pray, God releases His power. Whenever you pray, in one way or another, God answers that prayer. I don't know whether you believe that, but sometimes we talk about unanswered prayer I'm not sure in the Bible there is such a thing as unanswered prayer. I think every time God's people pray, something happens. Every time God's people pray, God always acts. God always does something. Now, it might not be the specific thing that we've prayed for. It might not be what we expect to happen. We might be praying for one particular thing, and God acts in a completely different way because God acts according to His purposes. He acts according to his plans and his will and his kingdom. And he might do something over here, even though we've been praying over here. He might not pray, he might not answer our prayers in a way that's visible to us. We might be expecting some visible thing to happen. God might answer our prayers in a way that we never see, in a way that's completely invisible and unseen. God might answer our prayers a long, long time in the future from when we pray. You might pray a prayer, and God could answer that prayer five generations from now. Just think about that. 
maybe way, way down the track, God does something that you never live to see in your lifetime, but it's an answer and a response to this prayer that you pray all the way back here. God might answer your prayers even in ways sometimes that we don't want. I mean, this is why prayer is dangerous. We, we pray, God may even answer in ways that we don't necessarily desire. This is not exactly what we kind of had in mind because God is fulfilling His purposes. He, he, he hears our prayers. He responds to our prayers. But He responds according to His will, not our will. So we pray and God hears and God acts, but it's not always the specific way in which we've been praying that determines the response. There's a story of a woman who lived in Tunisia, in northern Africa, and she had, her name was Monica, and she had these, these children that she prayed for regularly. And she was a real woman of prayer. She loved her kids and she brought them up according to Christian teaching and she prayed for each of them that they would come to know God and they would come to follow Him. And she had one particular boy who, who was a bit, bit of a rebel. And he just lived a life that was pretty self-absorbed, pretty immoral. And one day he announced to her that he was going to go and move to Rome. He wanted to go and live in Rome. And she was distraught by this. She thought this was the worst idea in the world. Rome was a, a, a terrible city in her mind. It was a city of loose morals and immorality, a city where, where there was greed and corruption and, and people were all about status and power. And she thought this would be the worst thing for her son. And she begged with him not to go. And she, and she pleaded with God not to let him go. She prayed earnestly that God would not let her son go to Rome. She even went down, the day that he, he left, she went down to the water's edge as he boarded the ship to set sail to Rome and she grabbed a hold of his hand and pleaded him one last time, please son, don't do this, don't go to Rome. But he insisted. He was stubborn and he refused her advice. He boarded the ship and he went to Rome. One of the first things that happened when he got to Rome was that he came down with a terrible fever. And he was hit by a virus that almost claimed his life. And, and for a while there, it looked like his mum's worst fears were going to be fulfilled. But he came through that. He recovered. And through a set of circumstances, this young man eventually, in Rome of all places, became a follower of Jesus. And he went on to become a teacher at a university. He went on to become a bishop in the church. He went on to become a theologian. His name was Augustine. We sometimes know him as St. Augustine. He was one of the greatest theologians in the history of the church, known as one of the fathers of the church, an immense figure in church history, all because God didn't answer the prayers of his mum to allow him to go to Rome. At least God didn't answer those prayers in the way that she expected. But what God did do was to hear and respond to the deepest cry of her heart. The deepest cry of her heart is that her boy would come to know Jesus, which he did. See, God hears our prayers and he responds to our prayers, but not always in the way that we expect. God answers in ways that we know not. So as we pray, we've got to kind of open up our field of vision a little bit. We might be praying into one specific situation, and that's good that we do that. But, but let's just have this enough peripheral vision to recognize God might be answering this prayer in some totally different ways. God might be answering this prayer over here or over here, or he may be answering it in ways that I'm, I'm never even going to see or be aware of. But you can have the assurance that when you pray, something always happens. Always. No exceptions. God always acts in response to the prayers of his people. He releases his presence.
and his power into the situations that we pray for. So as we finish this morning, and we think about prayer, we think about our own prayer lives, and I hope that you have a desire not just to pray more, but to pray in the way that God desires us to pray, not to pray in, in this totally self-focused way, but to pray in line with who God is, focused on His agenda and aware of His power. And as we finish this morning, I want to lead us in praying the Lord's Prayer. This is a well-known prayer. Some of you know it. Some of you may not. Uh, and you may have said this prayer so many times, you almost feel like the words have lost their meaning and it's just become rote for you. But I want to pray this prayer and, and just leave some space between each of the lines of this prayer and just linger over each of the lines to give us time to absorb what's being said. Because this is a prayer that is so in line with the way that these believers prayed in Acts chapter 4. And this is the prayer that Jesus gave us. And, and, and this is how he taught us to pray. I mean, it doesn't need to be with these specific words, but this is how he taught us to pray. And it captures so much of the heart of the prayers of the early church. Uh, a prayer that focuses us on the sovereignty of God. A prayer that moves us off our agenda and onto God's agenda. And a prayer that reminds us that God pours out his power, pours out his presence in response to our prayers as we pray. So let me lead us in this prayer. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer. You might want to pray it out loud or you can just pray it silently and just think about and absorb these words as we go through this final reflection. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.